0: Seventeen-year-old Angela Freeman was last seen on September 10, 1993, here at the old Pizza Hut in Petal. This was the last place that we ever that anybody ever saw her alive.
1: Seventeen years old, five months pregnant. Her bloodstained car was just north of Perry County's Monette Bridge.
0: There's a possibility she might be in the river, so we're checking the river right now with the dogs. Rescue workers are searching the river with dogs, and they are also searching the wooden area here. She was, um, had come in from work, and she gave me $80 to pay on her car that we found abandoned out here in Perry County. At this point, we really don't know any more than we did before until we can find her. We're still hoping that it's just not real, you know, that that she's gonna call and say she was, maybe she was abducted and will get away or something. but. Uh, It just
2: really doesn't look good at all. And we're working hard every day. We want this case solved. We're
0: on now with my
2: home.
1: Over the years, Deborah Freeman has had much time to ponder not only what happened to her daughter, but what has happened to all the evidence and leads and why they haven't led to any arrests in connection with Angela's disappearance 25 years ago. As the 21st century dawned, it had been more than six agonizing years of Christmases, birthdays, and everyday life events she had missed. What would Christina be like? Would Angela have become a nurse? Unanswered questions and what-ifs abounded. And then, nearing the year 2000, a new detective and new technology reignited the investigation. And for a brief moment in time, it looked like we might get answers to what happened to Angela Freeman that night, September 10th, 1993, at the Monted Bridge. You are listening to Telling Lives, a reported podcast series covering old stories in a true way. I'm your host, Elizabeth Christian. I remember sitting in the Lake Terrace Convention Center in Hattiesburg in late 1999 as WDAM TV news director, Randy Swan, moderated a town hall meeting covering the much hyped and feared Y2K bug that was going to rain down technological terror on the world as we knew it at precisely midnight and zero seconds, January 1st, 2000. Looking back on that now, it seems much ado about nothing. But at that time, in the infancy of the digital age, most of us didn't know if the world, in fact, might go dark for an undetermined amount of time because all modern conveniences had been built and programmed on a four-digit year system that only recognized the last two digits. Were our computers going to crash? Are power grids going to go out? Would planes crash? Financial and bank records vanish? These fears were real. For those of you too young to remember, the deputy defense secretary at the time likened it to an electronic El Nino event. Thankfully, computer masterminds had recognized the problem more than a decade earlier and had been working diligently to lessen the effects. In the end, very few of us felt anything when the clocks rolled over to the new millennium and celebrations the world over continued like no New Year's Eve in history had ever seen. The new millennium has brought such rapid advances in science and technology that have affected every industry and society in the world. The effects on law enforcement have been exponential. Many people have been brought to justice as a result of DNA technology, advances in crime scene technology, and things that are now a ubiquitous part of communication today cell phones and text message histories being saved and recorded through computer networks. To date, no one has paid for what happened to Angela Freeman, but evidence remains and technological advances continue. As years passed and leads dried up, hope that Angela's disappearance would be solved faded, but her mother's never did. Deborah kept Angela in the community's mind and pressed the local news media to continue reporting on the anniversaries of her daughter's disappearance. We covered in an earlier episode statistics that show the longer cases remain unsolved, the less likely that they are to get an arrest and ultimately a solution and conviction. Still, Debra has regularly called and visited the detectives who have worked her daughter's case over the years. Rusty Keys listed for me many of those who have tried to bring someone to justice in this case.
2: Pedal worked it along with Perry County. It went cold, of course. Um, the district attorney's office took a big lead in the case. Um, you've got Tommy Federick with Pedal, uh, Jimmie Dale uh, Smith with Perry County um, MBI investigators over the years, that's, that's worked the case. Um, Raymond Howell, who's passed on now, of course, uh, worked on it with the DA's office. Eddie Clark with Forest County SO worked on it, he's passed now. Um, s- several detectives that have went through the DA's office in Peddle, very qualified detectives. I won't get into all their names here but most of them has either moved on, retired, Mm -hmm. or or changed professions and, and things of that nature. In
1: 1999, a new detective took over the case for the Petal Police Department, and a group of advanced journalism students at the University of Southern Mississippi started poring over old media coverage and asking questions. William King worked as lead detective for the Petal Police Department in 1999 and 2000 following the retirement of Tommy Fedrick. At 32, he was young and eager to solve this case that had plagued several of his predecessors across the agencies involved. The Hattiesburg American described him in May 2000 as a new breed of law enforcement. With a college degree in criminal justice and an emphasis in psychology in his coursework at the University of Southern Mississippi. King had the instincts and also a scientific understanding of what it was going to take to break Angela's case. I started working at the federal police
0: department in uh, September of 93, and that was the same month and year that she came up missing. I was going to the academy during the week and coming back, and uh, really wasn't that familiar with it until later on when I got back. Um... But I was just a regular police officer at the time, so I wasn't really included in, in a lot of stuff. Fast forward several years, um, when I become the investigator, me and Tommy Federer worked together a lot, and um, and then of course he he went on to do his own thing, and so I had you know he and I have been just kind of tooling around a little bit and asking questions and talking to other investigators, trying to share information, and. Um, things that I did one day was I opened the folder and was looking at some pictures. And I saw in the floorboard of her car.
1: Assumptions about Angela not really being a crime victim played into the lack of actually looking at items in her car as evidence. You know, she was considered a runaway for a long time. And, um, and then they found the car. And that was right
0: when I first started working at the
1: police department. Right. Well, I've heard that some of the evidence has been lost over the years. Do you know if that... Was it still there when you were at Petal? Um, or is... The stuff had been given back to Bill Stewart and okay.
0: the mother, and, and it was a lot of the personal things that were in the car. Um, so, I mean, I don't know that they ever collected a lot of stuff.
1: Okay. Um, I remember having the- Other problems that had damaged evidence as well that had not been properly collected and stored. You know, rats ain't it? I was going to ask you that's uh, Miss Freeman said something about rats, and I haven't been able to find out if, if that's actually true or, you know, people remember things differently after so long. But so rats had eaten some of it. Well,
0: if it, if it had, it, it
1: was at her house. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, none of that stuff has been taken into evidence as per se and kept at the uh, in the
1: evidence locker room. Okay, so the evidence oh, you got. Available. Okay, you said you got it from him, and that was in two thousand. Right. When I talked to Deborah, she remembered a car jack that was found at the bridge site. The jack was collected as potential evidence, but over the years, it, among other things, has disappeared. Deborah recalls Petal Police Department blaming the loss of evidence on a rat infestation, but she remembers that it happened at the police department building. Uh, They found also um, uh,
0: a jack, a brand-new jack, and I've never understood this Mm. to this day. Uh, Why would anybody throw a jack away?
1: Right.
0: And if it had been there for a long, long time, it would have rust rust on it. right. It didn't have a piece of rust on it. But it never, you know, pedal police lost a bunch of stuff. They said the rats got into their building and all. Uh, but, uh, but a jack? Right. Rat, rats can't eat a jack. Right. But nobody knows where the jack is now. Nobody.
1: King says much of the evidence from Angela's car that should have been collected, tested, and kept in evidence following the initial investigation had been returned to the family. Fortunately, Deborah and Bill had kept it in storage and had it to turn over to him. He went through what they delivered to him some papers and a report card that had been scattered in the back seat of Angela's car, and there it was a bloody partial fingerprint. Bingo, or so he thought.
0: You know, I, I was. You know, I said, man, this is what I was built for. This is why God made me to solve this case, you know. And um, as they as would have it, um, there wasn't enough points on the fingerprint to identify the exact fingerprint. Um, and unfortunately, at that time, even with the latest and greatest in technology, um, it, it damages and destroys what evidence you have when you're trying
1: to collect that data. So every time you run that, it destroys it a little more? Is that what you're telling me? Say again? Every time that you run it, it damages it? Well, back then, um, and it was right around the very beginning of 2000, I think,
0: the type of method that they were using at the crime lab to extract whether or not the fingerprints uh, had enough points the impression that that once they did this particular method to obtain the DNA and the fingerprint to to get matches off of it, it destroyed the evidence because it was on paper and the type of chemicals
1: they used. Today, new technology could have a profound impact on not only Angela's case, but on other cold cases in Mississippi and literally thousands of others across the country. According to news reports back in 2000, Angela's sneakers were stained with blood and at least two sets of fingerprints were lifted from her car, in addition to a bloody fingerprint and hairs that were not Angela's but were found inside her vehicle. How much has the technology available to law enforcement changed since 1993 to today?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, tremendously. Um, you know, there was just If I waited and presented that that blood fingerprint that I seen um, and presented it in 2018, I'm certain that we would
1: have a a dead match. And the day may well be close that answers to the identity of the owner of the remaining fingerprints is discovered. I mean, they can get fingerprints off of a brick. Oh, my goodness. Back then, yeah. Technology wasn't the only hindrance in the initial investigation, according to King. Well, I believe
0: that to be the largest part of it, see, back in 93 when I joined the police department, I was the only one that had, at that time, a criminal justice degree with an emphasis on law enforcement. Um, we didn't have an investigator. They had tried using an an investigator working five days a week, but they were not happy with it. Um... Cause it messed with some of the police officers' days off. Uh, we always work shift work,
1: mm-hmm. and so
0: one shift would work it a little bit, then they would hand
1: information off to the next shift. You know, right? And um, and so when I first started, I
0: worked a Thursday. Let's see, I worked Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then I worked the next week Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So if I was on day shift for 12 hours, the only people I was familiar with was those that were replacing me on on, uh, night shift. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't real familiar with the other shift first part of the week, you know? So, you know, I I convinced Chief Murphy to, you know, go back and let's get an investigator, you know, appointed. and, And he agreed. And so... He kinda of put me and Tommy Federer together and, and Tommy showed me a ropes and
1: that she knew and not just a random person or no wasn't the only agency that made mistakes. One of the most troubling errors in judgment I discovered is so baffling that it's not hard to understand why many locals I talked to thought the pedal police may have been protecting someone in Angela's disappearance. Deborah was the first person to share the information with me. Here's what King had to say. She told me about when she finally sold Angela's car that pedal police came and got the taillight And then, um, the man came to Petal Police Station and was given the taillight out of evidence. Do you know if that's true? I
0: I do not. I'm I'm not familiar with that at
1: all. That just sounds so bizarre to me, and I was like, I want to find out if that actually happened, because that's so strange. Yeah. Um, how long did you work on the case?
0: Well, let's see, um... I was an investigator for about three and a half years, I guess, work, working with Tommy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and we worked on it off and on. You know, whenever we get a new lead or something, we'd track it down. So throughout the, the three and a half years that I was an investigator,
1: um, you know, we worked bits and pieces of it. I'm looking back through my notes to see. There was something else. Um... You worked with the Regional Organized Crime Information Center in Memphis. What do they do exactly? Okay, that's the R-C-C. Say Say, say
0: that again.
1: Regional Organized Crime Information Center in Memphis. It said you turned to them for assistance. Okay, so um, what we did, I'm trying to remember,
0: we got embedded with them because they were able to pull data, uh, historical data, I believe, as to who owned vehicles. And, that, you know, it could have been sold 10 times or mm-hmm. they would have an image of, of that. Um, and so we used them to, to if we believe that a suspect has sold a car or something, Um, we would take and maybe give them the the VIN number or maybe the tag number, and they could track back um, to who originally had the car and who had owned
1: it since then. Okay. Uh, And it also provided us with data
0: as to the same type of information as to where this person may have lived.
1: Okay. Well, um, on that note, the vehicles of... Stephen Lindsay, and Larry Posey, I'm guessing, since those were two of her ex-boyfriends, were those vehicles checked for evidence? Do you know? I, I, I do not know. Um, like I said, it was seven years after the fact. Right.
0: And any evidence that either one of them may have had, you know, they, there could have been hair follicles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if she had ridden in the vehicles with them, uh, that wouldn't have proved anything because she was known to associate with both of them.
1: So, you know, I I don't know that Stephen's truck was ever looked at or if Larry's vehicle was was ever examined. But, um, so if there is evidence, even blood evidence on a vehicle, are there ways for a person to get rid of that or does it always remain? As you can imagine, during the course of the last nine months of literally interviewing anyone who was willing to talk to me about Angela, I've heard dozens of rumors, some true and some not so true, and some I simply don't have access to the information to corroborate. So I asked King about one that I heard from several locals involving law enforcement officials who may have had friendships with suspects in the case. Okay. All right. Um, if there had been, or if there were, not just in this case, but any case, um, any suggestion that there might be a conflict of interest, what would be the protocol? Would y'all call in an outside agency? Sure. Okay. Sure. You, you always go outside, and you'd probably get the Mississippi Bureau Bureau of Narcotics
0: Office, they have a, they have a, a special unit for that. So you always if, if you suspect conflict interest, you always go outside the
1: It would have been very difficult for even a corrupt department, which I'm absolutely not suggesting Peddle was, to get away with such an egregious ethical error in a case with as many agencies involved as Angeles. Sadly, like many cold cases in Mississippi and across the country, Many open missing and murdered persons cases are because of procedural errors made due to a lack of training, and sometimes it's simply a momentary lapse in judgment that may stop the momentum of a case that's close to being solved. Sometimes we learn more from our mistakes than we do our successes. Angela's case has definitely been a learning experience. And the
0: police officers that were
1: out there, like I said, they
0: just wouldn't probably how to handle evidence and process the crime scene. Yeah. Um, you would you would have you would have thought when you saw blood and things of that nature that um some some better unit you know may have come out and processed the crime scene. Um, I know that Hattiesburg has a crime scene unit, mm-hmm. and I don't know why they w- wasn't called. You know.
1: Well, but, from from what I have and. En- the family told me this, but I did finally track down two different people from that time who told the press that they actually called Perry County to assist, and Sheriff Herring did not accept it until three days later. Yeah. So that's that's, yeah, that's really unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. And, and um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I, I hate talking to a reporter about things that you've heard Right. I don't have evidence on it, but yeah. sharing, um, I, I, don't, I don't know how
1: trustworthy he really was. Training and education have improved over the decades as well. Still, many cold cases will never be solved. None of the officials I spoke to who have worked Angela's case, past or present, believe Angela's is one of those. King says, quote, A large puddle of blood was on the ground at the bridge, and blood was splattered on the car. He said he believed the bridge was a secondary crime scene from the photographs and the physical evidence found. He also said the case would be solved within a year. Back in two thousand, he also invoked that it would be left up to God. The stack of suspects King told the Hattiesburg American he had in May of two thousand has been whittled down by him and other detectives who've taken on this case in the last two decades. Also in 2000, David Bennett, then an assistant professor at the University of Southern Mississippi, and 13 of his advanced journalism students, spent a semester investigating the Angela Freeman case. As a journalism professor who has taught student reporters for more than a decade now, I look at the questions these students raised, and I'm impressed. I know two of these former students, and it doesn't surprise me that one is now a communications professor himself, training future journalist, and another has had a successful newspaper career and now covers news in a top 50 media market in Louisville, Kentucky. The students investigated several of the complaints of the initial investigation, including the first officers at the bridge failing to secure the scene, standard operating procedure, and failure to consider the possibility that a crime had occurred and Angela had not just run away. They also criticized the three day delay before using dogs or divers to search for her in the Leaf River and the wooded area around the Monted Bridge. Perry County Sheriff Carlos Herring, who often refused to speak to the local and regional news media, even refused to speak to student reporters Years after the fact, they questioned the actions of Forest County Coroner Michael West when he defended Herring, saying, quote, There's no physical evidence that proves she's dead. At the time, they were looking at it as a girl who lost her car. End quote. The students wrote that treating it like that was one of the main initial mistakes and should not have been defended. Of course, hindsight's always quite clear, but That's the problem, isn't it? To look at the situation as a girl who lost her car? Really? The car wasn't lost. The girl was. You don't lose your car at the Monted Bridge. Another damning item in the same Southern Miss student article, Captain Butch Bailey of the Forest County Search and Rescue Team said he offered to send his men to the Monted Bridge and offer assistance at no cost on the first day Freeman went missing but that they were not asked by Perry County authorities to join the search until Monday, three days later. Mississippi State Crime Lab was also available to Perry County officials without cost, according to Lieutenant Colonel Jimmy Box, Director of the Criminal Investigation Bureau for the Department of Public Safety. But Perry County authorities did not request assistance. Interim Director of the State Crime Lab, then, was Julia James. She said... They have recognized expertise and should have been utilized. A team would have been put together immediately, and it simply wasn't done. King himself told a reporter back in 2000 of some of the rumors he had received and investigated. In 1995, a tip led authorities to a gravel pit where an anonymous source said she was buried. She was not found. But the bogus source of that tip, who had ulterior motives, was... People need to know that creating false information may be considered obstruction of justice and could be prosecuted. Jailhouse tips are also quite common. Others have included a baby abandoned at a local post office that someone thought might be Angela's. The DNA was tested. It wasn't a match. Calls from other states about sightings of women resembling Angela have also been checked out. Each one investigated and each one has led nowhere. And each time, the Freeman family wonders, is this the time that they will get answers? And tips still come in. Despite all the false reports, King told me that he believes today, 18 years after he thought that they were close, that the evidence and technology makes this closer than ever to being a closed case. Well, what do you think now the odds are that this case is going to be solved?
0: Um, well, Rusty seems to think, you know, he's got enough evidence, I think. Um, but why it had not been presented to the grand jury, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what all Rusty knows. Um, he, he may have some more latest and greatest information.
1: I think some someday somebody may make a deathbed confession, um, or somebody may just come forward and say, you know, I've been living with this for 25, 30 years, I just can't live with it no more, you know? Still, today, Rusty Keys, who took over the case when he became the director of the Cole Case Unit housed at the University of Southern Mississippi beginning in 2006, finds no benefit in talking about what went wrong because it doesn't move the case closer to a resolution.
2: I don't know. Uh, It's not here. We don't have it. That's one thing that in cold cases, especially when it's a multi-jurisdictional cold case. Right. Some things are going to get lost sometimes.
1: Do you think they are still somewhere? No, I mean,
2: all evidence in this case, I have. Okay. If it's available, I have.
1: According to Keys, due to the multi-county jurisdiction and limited resources, the loss of evidence over the years is inevitable. In the same year the Colcase unit for the Hattiesburg MSA was begun, Facebook, the king of social media today, with more than a billion users, opened access to the public, and now many people communicate with others on the platform just as much as they do with folks in their geographic and work communities. It's also created a forum for heated arguments and led to the practice we call unfriending. Facebook hosted a heated discussion among people on different sides of the Angela Freeman story several years ago, the Freeman family, and the family of Angela's former boyfriend, Stephen Lindsay, the young man last seen with her outside Pizza Hut that night. The rumor at the center a suggestion of KKK involvement in the case, and that the Freeman family was responsible for Angela's disappearance because of the way they lived. Suzanne Lindsay, Stephen's younger sister, who was a teenager when Angela went missing, suggested that Bill Stewart, Angela's stepfather, was a leader in the local clan, and that Angela had told her that. Vicky Bryant, Angela's aunt, is the former wife of Deborah's brother Roger Freeman? She got very defensive over comments they made about Angela. There was a kind of an argument between me and Stephen's sister on Facebook. She was slamming Deborah and her and Clyde and all that, and I just I couldn't have
2: it. Whenever we were talking, you know, I know for a fact, no, honey, you don't know anything for
1: a fact, no more than any of us do. Right. If you know something for a fact, you need to be going talking to the police. Right. Because that means you were there. If she was highly PO'd with me. Keyes said he has found no evidence of any KKK involvement in Angela's case. Suzanne Lindsay posted alleging that the KKK is involved and that Bill Stewart is in the KKK.
2: But again, I, I'm not going to debate uh, <coughs> that. Okay. There's been a lot of things said over the years. Uh, There's a lot of emotions that's involved in cases. Family defends
1: family. But you don't think the Ku Klux Klan is involved Um, in this? I, I,
2: I have not had a reason or a fact to believe to investigate any white supremacist group. Okay.
1: Suzanne told reporters following Angela's disappearance that she and Angela were friends and had spent a lot of time together and that Angela had lived with the Lindsay family part of the time that she had dated her brother. I was not able to verify any connection to the KKK, and neither was Angela's uncle, Roger Freeman, who is a lieutenant with the Wiggins Police Department and currently running for sheriff of Stone County. I read something a couple of days ago that really made me think of another theory And that's all it is, just a theory um, that Suzanne Lindsay put out there about the KKK. Was Bill Stewart in the KKK? Does anybody know that? I I have not been able to substantiate it. I don't think he was because he was a lot of talk. Whether or not it was gospel, if there was enough talk of such activity, considering the activity of the KKK in the area around Petal and New Augusta, which is true, It at least makes one wonder if Larry Posey, a black man, would have taken a white girl to a desolate location such as the Monted Bridge. What do you think happened to her? Um,
0: Three things I think could happen to her one, um, the Moody Boys, Uh, two, um, her stepdad, and three, Lindsay. The reason why I said the Moody boys because they was doing the horrible things down there at the same time in that bridge. Right. That bridge. Right. I, even, I don't even know what the bridge is.
1: <laughs> well, I have been down there and it is very very hard to find. Yeah, I'm thinking I don't even know what a bridge is. In addition, every single person I spoke with without one exception spoke of Angela's fear of the dark. Some don't believe she would have driven to the Monted Bridge by herself at all. Mary, whom we introduced you to in the last episode, finally agreed to speak on record. She said she has a lot of trouble believing Angela went to the bridge.
2: That was the scariest part of her whole world, was either being by herself getting spooked out, because she did. She got spooked easy, so that really Yeah, was, lots of people have yeah, said that to me. So she, that really freaked her out. So I know for a fact, 150% sure, that she never would have had even her car down there. She would not have taken herself down there, period.
1: But evidence proves she was there that night in September, and her mother, Deborah, said she knew that Angela had gone to the bridge with Stephen in the past. They hadn't eaten, they hadn't eaten there So she had, okay, so she had gone before. Yeah. Would Angela logically have gone to the bridge with someone she was afraid of? That doesn't make sense to her family and friends. Or would it have to be someone she loved and still desperately wanted to be with that could convince her to go to such a desolate and haunting place as the Monted Bridge? After more than 25 years, Rusty Keys believes he is close to closing this case. Since 2006, when he took it on, he has followed where the evidence has led. Were the vehicles of the boyfriends and friends that had seen her recently, were they checked, like tire prints or blood on the outside?
2: There was a lot of evidence and a lot of things that was inspected, Mm -hmm. processed, if you will. Uh, But at this time, nothing has led, from that part of the case, nothing has led it to go any further. I mean, I can't say who we Mm -hmm. processed or what we processed. I just don't think that's beneficial Mm -hmm. to the integrity of the case. Uh, But if a lead come up that needed processing, From what I've seen, okay, since I've got it, then we've done that, okay? What was done before, I just got to accept what I had, okay? If, if, if something was done or not done, I just accepted what I had and moved forward.
1: Keyes has spent much time since taking over the case, going over everything that was done and not done since 1993. But he isn't one to dwell on past missteps. He says there's still enough evidence to show what happened to Angela.
2: Were mistakes made? Of course. Um, but you can't change that now. Right. You can't judge them now. I mean, you can look at cases, any detective's work. I don't care if it's FBI behavioral science unit. Right. You're make mistakes. Can, I mean, it's when it's easier
1: of, to point out the mistakes when it's an unsolved case very, very rather than easy. the mistakes that were made when a case yeah. is solved, you don't that's, notice. That's
2: why you won't, you know, you the old saying, let's have another set of eyes look at. Right. It. People's going to see things,
1: differently Right. So. Even in what we do, we talk about that, you know, you know, if you don't have another set of eyes, you're going to read over because you see it the way you think it is, so. Um, Miss Debra mentioned that in addition to the shoes, there was a jack, a car jack.
2: But I have get, never
1: seen okay. that in any article.
2: I'm not going to get any, any particular okay. evidence. There was evidence found at the scene that that showed Angela was there. Okay, There was some evidence that I wish I still had.
1: What happened to but
2: it? I, I don't know. Uh, it's not here. We don't have it. That's one thing that in cold cases, especially when it's a multi-jurisdictional cold case, some things are going to get lost sometimes.
1: Do you think they are still somewhere?
2: No. I mean, all evidence in this case, I have. Okay. If it's available, I have it. Um, I'm fully convinced of that, but do I wish I had some things that I don't have now? Sure. Sure, of course. I wish I had Angela's body, but I don't, mm-hmm. you know. So I can't sit here and make my case on what I don't have. Right. I got to make now I got some I got some uh photographic evidence that proves some things were found, so that helps. Okay. Um so is that
1: normal in an old cold case eventually people they you run out of, do you run out of room and
2: No, no it depends on what agencies evidence uh, control policies were at the time or, you know, uh, I mean it depend on a lot of factors. Accidents, things accidentally getting disposed mm-hmm. of, or um, maybe a… Uh, Fires, how would you say fire, over the years? Uh, yeah, I know some stuff was destroyed at HPD when the big tornado hit, mm-hmm. you know, some things. I mean, just it's going, going to happen. Uh, but. Evidence control over the years has gotten better in, in mm-hmm. departments, which, you know, and also there's some laws now you can't, you can't get rid of, oh, okay. you know, uh, certain types of evidence that could be used for DNA.
1: And it's clear from the evidence that was collected during the original investigation at the bridge and later in 2000 by William King that a crime definitely happened in rural Perry County that September night. Angela's life and the life of her innocent, unborn baby were tragically and violently ended.
2: You've got to look at what makes sense. Humans are going to do what they, what they do. Mm-hmm. Okay? There is that stuff out there, that 20%, what I call alien stuff, that does happen. It's like, wow, I didn't see that. You know, see that. But 80% of the time, people are going to do what people do. In, in most cases, when you finally solve them, it's pretty simple, what happened. I mean, it, it is pretty simple. People are gonna do things.
1: And it's usually somebody who knows the person, usually, most of yeah, the time. There
2: is those, you got your Ted Bundy's, you got your, I mean, they get the most press. Right. So you think they're everywhere. And there is a lot of serial killers in this country. The country's full of them. Yeah. But most people die at the hands of somebody they know. Crime of passion, mm-hmm. if you wanna call it that. I mean, they just know their killer. And there's no doubt in my mind, if you look at Angela and you know what we've learned from her, there's no doubt she knew her killer. Where the case is going now Mm -hmm. and where it is now, I do believe that the person responsible is still alive. Okay. Yeah, I do.
1: Keys told me the first time I went to see him, back in June last year, that he believes Angela's case would be solved in God's time. In the meantime, Keyes continues patiently pursuing who he believes all the evidence is pointing to, and letting his expertise and his faith be his guide. Does that ever frustrate you when you feel like the Lord is, you know, maybe telling you it's not time for this? Or well,
2: I learned a long time ago to stop. Uh, I mean are you it just eat you up. right I mean you know as a young detective and I of course I, I've been a detective for years and I matured differently you know um, so no I don't get aggravated or uh, you know in a hurry anymore I mean it's going to happen if it's there mm-hmm. just take your time it's not going to get any colder Um the evidence that's there cannot be hid now. Mm-hmm. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. Yeah. You gotta go with what you've got. And you can't look back on the case and say, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm-hmm. If you do that, then then that's not fair to the case now. Right. It's not fair to what you're trying to do. But at the end of the day, that is a people confess for different reasons. Right. Um, so, I mean, that would depend on that person. Right. You know, you know sometimes it depends. Some people confess, cause, hey, you got me. Right. You know, why not? You know, I mean, what, what else can I say? Then and there may be that you don't got me, prove it. Right. You know, and then there's those that just by conscience.
1: Do you think most people are, are killed in the heat of the moment and, if you look and if people it, are remorseful? It, Is that more common?
2: They may be remorseful to their self, but they just may not. They may have the personality; they don't show it. Uh, I think, you know, most homicides people know their killer. If more were remorseful, then we'd be clearing more. True. I think you could look at it that way. You know, more. true. I mean, people love their freedom, and they may be remorseful, but they may not want to. You know, yeah. they want their freedom. He don't have to confess to me to be forgiven by the Lord. True. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm-hmm. they may have done that their self and be forgiven, okay? It may take telling the police you did it to get it off, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, confession's good for the soul, you know. I, I, I've always believed that, you know, you need to confess, you know, to the Lord, but that you need to confess to to somebody that maybe your friend or your mentor right. or somebody that, right. that that can just be there for you, that can pray with you too. Right. You
1: well, know? that's the last thing I want to ask you about. Um, I know you've mentioned throughout, and I, I even remember when I worked for the city that mm-hmm. you were a man of faith and a man of integrity. How has that guided not just your personal life, but your professional life, um, as you have matured and worked more cases, do you think that's been a central role in what you
2: do? Well, oh, of course. Um, a policeman, if you do it right, if you don't work with integrity, if you don't work with in- with character, then turn your badge in. If if you have to lie to solve a case, turn your badge in. If you ever get caught with that lie, you're done. I mean, you. You can't even prosecute a traffic ticket. I mean, you're done. And and I've seen that, okay? Um, you have, and that's what I try to teach young officers, you've got to have that from the beginning. I mean, not everybody, you're not going to get every bad guy. You're just not. But if you do it right and, and do it, you know, with integrity and with character and with honesty, it's better to get them right than to get them wrong. I mean, I've always been a believer in that. I mean, you can't be the Rampart Division in L.A. I mean, you, you can't just go out and beat them and and, and do, do that sort of thing and think you're making it right. It's just not. I mean, you've got to have the integrity to, to, to work the case, to, to catch the person and, and make the case, send it up, and they'll be punished accordingly. I mean, you just got to do it correctly. If you're doing it wrong, then you're the liar. Right. I mean, then, then how are you much better than that person? You know, so you've got to, you've got to do it right from the beginning.
1: That's right. got to be a hard thing to accept as a detective sometimes though, considering you see the worst of the worst mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. To believe this is what was supposed to happen has to be hard sometimes.
2: Well, yeah, it is, and it was harder when I was younger. Uh, but but now I mean I accept it. I mean it's it's a timeline. It's on it's on his timeline. It's not on mine. Yeah. And and there's a reason. There's a reason. I mean it, it, that I don't know. I may never know. We may right. never know. I mean there's some things you never know. Right. I mean why does why does a mother of four that goes to church every Sunday and is a fine woman get breast cancer? Right.
1: You
2: know I, I mean. I don't know. I mean, it's something we'll never know this side of heaven, you know, why Mm -hmm. people have to hurt and why they, you know, but this is an evil world. Right. You know, and and disease and murder and all that's part of this fallen world. Right. And we just got to, you know, stay the path, um, you know, be the servant, you know, um, and do what our commission is to do.
1: We at Telling Lives continue to get emails and calls from community members and friends interested in the case. One rumor we are still working on revolves around a white truck that may have been involved in what happened to Angela that was seen in Gulfport in the pre dawn hours of September 10, 1993. Gulfport lies about 70 miles south of the Monad Bridge, 70 miles of highway surrounded by densely wooded land, including the DeSoto National Forest. This rumor appears on two different online message boards about the case. I've also heard the rumor from several sources who have spoken to me over the last few months. We are diligently pursuing this information. Next time on Telling Lives, 23 years after Angela went missing and several years after Angela left the area, a chance encounter or divine appointment As Deborah believes, brings her face to face with a man she has never before met and may well have been the father of her unborn grandchild. Telling Lives is brought to you by reporter, writer, and host Elizabeth Christian, producer Brian Manuel, associate producer Jerry Clark, reporter and researcher Alina Noakes, original music by Nicholas Freeman. If you like this episode, subscribe to Telling Lives Podcast on your favorite podcast app and if you have any information about the disappearance of Angela Freeman contact us at tellinglivespod at gmail.com There is a $12,000 reward for anyone with information leading to the arrest of the person responsible for Angela Freeman's disappearance. Contact Rusty Keys at the University of Southern Mississippi Police Department Special thanks goes to Louisiana College for partial funding support for this project. Luke 817